Good morning. So one thing that you should know about me is that I have a huge head. Like, not metaphorically, maybe metaphorically, but literally I have a huge head. I went to hugeheads.com or something like that, bighats.com to try and buy a hat one time, and they did not have hats in my size. And so the sound dick doohickey is having a little trouble fitting on my head, so if I have to fidget around with it, then please be patient. The person speaking to you today has a big head. Second thing you should know about me, I really, I've realized this about myself recently, I love clickbait. Like, I always thought that I was above clickbait. I just kind of assumed, like, I don't click on clickbait. And then I just, like, took stock of myself once and realized I click on all clickbait. <laughs> I always click on, like, you know, six things you didn't know about Kim and Conway's marriage. <laughs> number five will shock you. Like, well, I'd like to be shocked. I wonder what this number five is. Or, you know, photographs, too racy to make the history books, whatever it is. I just, I click on it every single time. Not as much anymore, because I am trying not to do that once I sort of realized that was true about myself. But we are very susceptible, all of us, me included, to these kinds of temptations. To someone just saying, hey, let me show you something cool, something interesting, something shocking, something forbidden. And that is a lot of what Pastor Jake talked to us about. If you happen not to have been here last week, that's what Jake spent a lot of time talking about. And that is, in fact, what King Solomon in Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about. Solomon is addressing his son, and he is saying, people are going to come to you, and they are going to say, hey, there's something cool, something forbidden, something interesting, and we can, we, can, we can go, we can commit a sin, we can get away with it. What it actually is, is he says, Solomon says, don't be a gangster, don't be a pirate, don't go try and shed innocent blood with somebody. Which, by the way, fun fact, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, immediately blows it. So if you thought, well, why did Solomon tell his son not to be a gangster or a pirate? Rehoboam, I won't go into the story, but you can look it up yourself. Rehoboam immediately acts like a gangster or a pirate. As soon as he gets the kingdom, the kingdom is divided. Israel suffers for generations because Rehoboam didn't just learn, don't be a gangster, don't be a pirate, right? But it's not just don't be a gangster, don't be a pirate, because most of us in this room, we're, we're not tempted to be gangsters or pirates. Exactly. We are tempted to click on clickbait or to click on pornography or to... Do any number of things, right? People come to us and they say, here's a shortcut. Here's something easy. Here's something sinful that'll get you ahead in life. Hey, honey, let's get an abortion. Let's shed innocent blood. And then we can go back to the way things were. We can, things can be, you know, it can be romantic. It can be exciting like it used to be, you know? Hey, uh, your time card. If you do this little thing, you can actually go with the company really owes you. Or if you... Do your expense accounts this way. Hey, look at pornography. You don't have, click this link. You, you don't have to do the work of getting a wife, getting a husband to get sexual satisfaction. You can have it really easily, right? Just cut to the chase. Um, my wife had one recently. She was in a group of women. I'm happy to say no women that attend or have visited Church of the King. 
But these women said, gossip about your husband. Talk about how bitter you are about him. Talk about how dumb he is. That's what we're all doing. That's the social currency of this group, this Christian group. And if you do it, Meredith, you will immediately get a bunch of social capital. You will be one of us, right? So these kinds of temptations take all kinds of forms. We all are tempted. Someone comes to us, a thing or a person or an organization comes to us, says, join the in crowd, do something exciting, bold, risky, forbidden. You won't get caught. You will get pleasure. You will get riches. You will get good things. That's the lie that the world tells us constantly, right? And King Solomon, just simply, in the section that Pastor Jake talked us through last week of Proverbs 1, says, uh, it's not going to work out. You will be lying in wait for your own blood. You will cast your own net. It will go poorly for you. Don't do it. Wonderful metaphor that Jake used, which came from another pastor friend of ours, is the uh, sinner who thinks he's winning is only winning in the sense that someone who jumps off a bridge is flying. Might feel good for a moment, but then there's that splatty part at the end, and it comes much quicker than you think it might. So King Solomon gets done saying all of this, and then he goes into, he wants to like drive the point home. And so he's basically going to kind of say the same thing in our passage today, but he's going to say it in this really kind of way that you might not expect. So let's go ahead and read. It's going to be Proverbs 1, verse 20 through 33. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. <laughs> they will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would bless our time in the word this morning. Thank you for your many mercies upon us. Help us to be wise and help us to love wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, kind of weird, right? King Solomon gets done saying, be wise, don't be foolish, don't give in to temptation, don't give in to sin. If you do, you'll die. And then he brings in Lady Wisdom. Sometimes you have to ask, like, why somebody in the Bible does something. We kind of just read it like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Does it? I mean, if, 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 if you were a Little League coach, would you use this same formula? Would you, would you say, like, all right, uh, Little Leaguers, like, these are the things to do in baseball. These are the things not to do in baseball. And by the way, Lady Baseball 
She's standing on the diamond, and she cries out, you better do good at baseball. Better not swing for those, whatever people do poorly in baseball. <laughs> if you do that, if you, if you fail at this game, then Lady Baseball will be mad at you. She will mock you. Because you had a chance to play the same game that Babe Ruth played. You know, you had a, this, I, I'm, the, I'm Lady Baseball. I'm the American pastime. You going to take me seriously? I don't think a coach would do that. <laughs> but do we use this kind of language? Do we use this kind of uh, formula? Actually, we use it all the time. You just have to think about the places where we use it in our culture. So, for example, it's, it's pretty one-to-one, -one, actually. Imagine a politician or a general. All right, troops, go out, defeat the enemy. You can imagine Winston Churchill or General Patton or somebody like that. And if you do that, America will smile on you. America will be happy that you stood up for her Right? We actually use, we actually have a lady. America has a lady. Her name is Lady Liberty. You can imagine President Biden or somebody giving a speech actually pretty similar to this. You know, uh, vote for the infrastructure bill. If you don't, Lady Liberty will mock you. Like, you had a chance to help Lady Liberty, and she, now she's mocking you because you didn't vote for whatever me, the politician, wants. Uh, this is called personification. Literature class time. Personification is where you pretend like a thing is a person. And we do this all the time, right? Oh, my car, I take it to the mechanic. It doesn't make the noise. It makes the noise anytime it's not at the mechanic. My car hates me. If my car was a person, this is the kind of person that my car would be. My car would be a person who hates me because that's how poorly treated I feel by my car. Politicians use it, you know, Labor, Lady Liberty, things like that. Um, advertisers use it. Oreo, milk's favorite cookie, you know. If milk was a person, then what cookie would milk like the best? Obviously, Oreos. Uh, people who are trying to get you to accept something, you know, the wildlife preservation people. Smokey Bear, you know. A, a bear stands in the woods, he cries out, only you can prevent forest fires, right? We actually use this kind of rhetorical language all the time. It's just called personification, and we hear it all the time. We're just not used to it in the way that King Solomon is using here. It's where you pretend, again, like a person is a thing, or a thing, sorry, a thing is a person, and then you say, okay, you know, if that thing was a person, if that abstract, if America was a lady, if liberty was a lady, if milk was a person, what would they say? And you use it usually to make a point. And so King Solomon is making a point here. He's basically saying, all right, let's think rhetorically, let's think metaphorically here. If wisdom was a lady, what would she be like? And what would she be saying? And what she would be saying is pretty obvious, actually. What she would be saying basically is, King Solomon, the wisest guy in the world, just got done telling you, don't give in to temptation. You went ahead and did it. And so I'm mad at you, and I'm not going to help you. And I'm going to do like this whole kind of prose poem about how stupid you are and about how it's almost like a rap or something like that, right? Like it's, it's that level of aggression, you know? Like I'm awesome, you're stupid, because you didn't give yourself to loving me. Um, so I want to talk about a few things that we can observe about the way that King Solomon personifies 
wisdom makes her into, you know, if she was a person, this is how she would be. I want to talk about very quickly about some things we can learn just about the way that wisdom is presented in this passage. And then I want to talk even more importantly about what wisdom, Lady Wisdom says to us. So a couple things to observe about the way that Solomon portrays wisdom to his son. Remember, Jake said King Solomon is talking to an adolescent male. He's talking to like his son, to a prince, you know, like you have to, this, the book of Proverbs says wisdom for everybody, but you do have to filter it through. This is how um, Solomon is talking to his son, his young son. Um, so why, if you were talking to a young man, would you make wisdom a lady? Why would, why would she be portrayed that way? Well, I, I can't read King Solomon's mind, but I can tell you the kinds of things that people understood about the idea of ladies throughout history, which we're not allowed to talk as much about now. But if you're a young man, especially, what do you sort of think about the idea of woman? Well, it's something that you desire. It's something that you think could be your reward, your blessing, your glory, your crown. Later in Proverbs, it says a good wife is a crown to her husband. You are looking for the lady to come alongside you and make everything sweet, and make everything good, and make everything work, and be that missing piece in your life, right? It's something that you intensely desire. It's something that you fight for. It's something that you consider as kind of a reward or a punishment based on what kind of a person you've been, you know? (laughs) Um, Yes, it is funny. Lady Wisdom is going to laugh at the bad people later. Um, You think about, uh, most people across history have known Eve was Adam's helper. A woman is a helper, right? She's a helper. She's a reward. She's a glory. She's a responsibility. You get a wife, suddenly you have kids, and you have to pay the bills, and you have to tend and nurture her emotionally and stuff like that. Well, when you start to think about that being what a woman represents, especially to a young man, it's pretty obvious why you would cast wisdom as a lady, right? I mean, I don't even have to go any further in explaining that, I don't think. It's something that you, you want. It's something that you should want. It's something that will grace your life, make it glorious, be your crown, make your life awesome, come alongside you, help you, make it all make sense, right? Uh, and it's something that you have to tend, something that you have to be responsible for. Uh, another reason I think that King Solomon casts wisdom as a woman is because he's going to, this is just a preview for where we'll be going in the next weeks. He's going to talk a lot about another woman. He's going to talk about, people have called her Lady Folly or the adulteress or the adulterous woman. He's going to talk about the personification of bad women, the person who's there to seduce you, to destroy you, to lead you to hell and to death. That's going to be a lot of these first nine chapters and indeed all 31 chapters of Proverbs. And so it helps to kind of have these, you know, it's nice, it's nice literary parallelism, they call it. It's you got the one thing over here, you got the one thing over here, you should like this thing, you should hate this thing, right? So you got Lady Wisdom, you got Lady Folly. We're not going to talk specifically about Lady Folly today, but we'll spend a lot of time on her later. Uh, the next thing to notice about the way that Solomon portrays wisdom, he portrays her in the public square, So let's look at those first verses again. 
Uh, Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. Wisdom is in the public square. Now you think about how counterintuitive that is to the way that the world thinks about wisdom. She's not on a mountaintop, like the Buddhists would say. She's not found in the river. She's not something that you leave civilization to go and find. She's in the public square. She's at the place of business. She's in the marketplace. She's at Walmart, whatever. She's, she's in the trailer park. She's, she's, she's standing in front of the courthouse. It's easy, actually, to find her. It's hard to miss her. She's yelling. It's hard to not hear her. You have to go out of your way to avoid her, actually. And you think about the way that the world casts wisdom. You think about the cartoon of the, of the man who's gone up a mountain, and he's, you know, there's the monk sitting on the mountain. The monk is going to tell him how to have enlightenment. We've all seen that, that formula, right? That's how people think of wisdom. That's how they think of enlightenment. It's this thing that you may search your whole life for, and you know, maybe you'll have to be reincarnated so you can, you can get it again. Uh, try again, because you, you may not ne- ever get enlightenment. Uh, it's not just the Buddhists, it's not just Eastern philosophy, though. It's the Roman Catholics. You know, wisdom is behind the church wall. It's with the Pope. It's with the priests. It's with the important people who are the keepers of wisdom. Uh, it's academia, right? Wisdom is with the professors. Come, study, learn about uh, colonialism and uh, transgenderism and learn all the isms, and you'll know what wisdom is. Uh, it's with uh, the way that a lot of conservative people think is it's, it's my guy, you know, it's my Joe Rogan, it's my Jordan Peterson, it's my this, it's my that, it's the podcast that I listen to, it's the book that I've read. That's where I finally can find wisdom. That's not how Solomon portrays wisdom. Is like Now, he does say wisdom is like rubies. He's going to talk a lot about how we need to be very proactive in seeking wisdom out and how it's not always easy. There's going to be a lot about that. But here he's doing a different thing. He can do two different things. And here he's saying, wisdom's out in the streets. She's right there. She's calling out. Like, are you listening? Because you could just listen. You could just say, hi, you're right there. You don't have to go to the university. You don't have to talk to the Pope. You don't have to. Uh, wisdom is like your, your car keys, right? Look in, if, you, if you lose your car keys, if you're looking for your car keys, look in the obvious places first. Check your, your dresser, check your nightstand, check your kitchen counter, right? That, that's where you want to look for your car keys first before you search the attic. Yeah, check your pocket, right? Uh, when you're looking for wisdom, uh, check your father, check your mother, check your pastor, check your older brother, check your Bible. Those are the places you look before you go to the university, before you go to Jordan Peterson, before you go to the internet, go to the obvious places first. God loves to work through things that are mundane and things that are obvious. Ask your husband, talk to your wife. There will be wisdom there, even in the fumbling, sinful, mundane things that your people say to you. There will be greater wisdom there than in Plato, than in all of the places that we go to for wisdom. And there's many others that I haven't even talked about. But we all know there's weird, forbidden, secret places that we would rather go for wisdom than the things that are right in front of us that God has given us to give us wisdom. And so 
you really have to see wisdom's just in the public square. She's right there. She's right there. The third thing to notice about the way that Solomon portrays wisdom is she is, as we said, this is like a rap or something. She is throwing down. She is mad at the people who will not listen to her. She's, she's like, I'm right here. I'm beautiful. I'm awesome. Everybody should desire me. Everybody should want me. I will crown your life. I will make it great. Like, I'm, you know, if, if, if I am a woman, I'm a 10, you know? I look fantastic. I, I come with a million dollars. You know, I cook a mean steak. I'm, I'm really smart. I'm really funny. And you're interested in that lady over there, you know? The ugly one with all the debt and uh, uh, what, you know? <laughs> I can't go any farther there. But be, be careful. Uh, but really, like, uh, if, it's like in, in romantic comedies. The thing that I hate the most in romantic comedies is there, there's always the part where uh, Meg, beautiful Meg Ryan or whoever is in love with this doofus jerk instead of our hero. Like, how did you ever get with this guy? This guy's a jerk. He's being mean to you. He, he, he's like, I can't wait to get married and he's burping and stuff. Like, why are you with this guy and not the hero of the movie? How dumb are you? I, I hate that. Like, there's always the, the person that they have to break up with in a romantic comedy. It's always completely unbelievable that this wonderful hero of the movie would ever be with that person in the first place. Well, the reason it kind of works is because we're kind of that dumb. And that's what Lady Wisdom is telling us here. Like, I'm beautiful. I'm awesome. You should be with me. And instead, what? You're over here? Living a squalid, miserable life? Giving yourself to sin? That's not cool. So let's talk more specifically about her little dramatic monologue that she gives here. Just make three points about it. Um, Number one, it's really easy to love being foolish and hate wisdom. So Lady Wisdom says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? She says that precisely because all of us, everybody in this room, it's really easy for us to love being foolish and to hate wisdom, actually. And there's any number of reasons why that's true. Uh, Number one, foolishness does disguise itself as wisdom. You know, there is the, 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 the cheese in the mousetrap, the thing that seems attractive about foolishness, right? I mean, you only have to ever... I smoked cigarettes for a long time. I don't hate people that smoke cigarettes. But you only... Uh, yesterday, I was at a gas station. I just noticed the ad where it was an attractive person with a cigarette. And it's like, that's kind of how dumb... I mean, advertisers are smart. They know how dumb or smart we are. And they know if they just portray an attractive person with a cigarette, well... Some people will forget about all the death and sickness and stuff and bad things that come with tobacco usage, right? And so we are pretty easily fooled. Foolishness can dis- disguise itself as wisdom, and we can think, oh, that's wise. That would be wise to, you know, finagle my time card. That would be wise to click that clickbait, to look at that bad thing on the internet. Uh, that would be wise not to discipline my kid right now. It would just kind of feel easier. Like, the kid's going to be unhappy. I'm going to be unhappy. There's going to be chaos in the home. You know what? Let's just all relax. Let's just all, it'll be good. It'll be fine. You know, that, that would be wise. It's easy to think that what is foolish 
is wise. That's one reason why it's easy to love being foolish and hate wisdom. We also just love foolishness because we love foolishness, actually. It says, again, Lady Wisdom's opening salvo. She says, how long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Well, we are actually that sick. Apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, we are that sick. We love being foolishness. You know, uh, to go back to my, my mousetrap analogy, uh, we don't just love the cheese. We're, we're such sick in the head mice that we love the trap, actually. There's part of us that really wants to be trapped. People start smoking, to stick with that example, that small example, uh, not just because it looks cool in the advertisements and on TV, uh, they start smoking because it kills you, actually. Because people have a death wish, because they have a destruction wish, because there's some part of them that just wants to die, is in love with death. Um, John three nineteen says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Again, Smoker, it's kind of an easy example, but I did smoke cigarettes for a long time, so I don't know if anybody in here smokes, but I love you. You think about alcoholics. There's the person who drinks to feel good. There's also the person who drinks to die. There's also the person who's got past, you know, how do you understand the black sheep in your family without understanding that there is a place where some of us just love the trap and we've lost all taste for the cheese, actually. The more you give yourself to sin, the less the cheese tastes good. And the more, the only thing you've got left to love, and so perversely, the thing that you come to love is the bondage, right? Um, have you ever known a liar who just lies to lie? They just like lying. I think a lot of us knew this person in school, right? Did you wear a red jacket yesterday? No, I, read it. I wore a blue one. They don't get anything out of it. There's nothing there for them. There's no particular anything to that exchange except they like lying. We all have times in our life, you know, you don't have to be given over to some extreme addiction or something like that. We all have times in our life where we sin simply because we want to sin, simply because we love foolishness, simply because our hearts are that bad. Uh, you know, if you're married, you say something cruel to your husband or something cruel to your wife, not to win the argument, not to further the exchange, not to feel the catharsis even of, of just saying something, but you just want to say something nasty. You just, in that moment, want to be cruel because you like being cruel. I think we've all had those moments. I mean, it's why Jesus, you know, we just got done with the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, if you say you hate your brother, you murder them, right? We have murderous instincts. We have lustful instincts. We have ways that we are just simply and completely destructive, and that's how you understand suicide. You know, if, if you do have that person in your life that is completely given over to destructive behaviors and you don't really, you've never been able to quite understand, why does this person just keep blowing up their life? Like, it doesn't make sense. There's nothing left that's pleasurable for them. It's just pain. Well, you have to understand that people like that, and I believe in addiction, and I believe in chemicals, and I believe in genetic predispositions and all those kinds of things. But you have to understand at the end of the day that there is sin, there's a spiritual reality, and that there are some people who are simply in love with death. And you should understand 
that when you give yourself to the cheese in the mousetrap, you are walking down that path. Every little way that you give yourself to sin is a way where you might wake up one day sooner than you think and realize, oh wow, the pleasure that was associated with this foolishness is gone. And now I'm just in pain. And maybe I've actually grown to love this bondage. And those are the kinds of people that the Lady Wisdom's laughing at, right? We also hate wisdom because we're proud, because we don't like being rebuked, reproved. We don't like being told that we're wrong. I, I, one, of the, one of the most shameful memories I have, for whatever dumb reason, like 20 years ago, burned into my brain. High school, I'm at Subway Sandwich Place, and, and I've never been to Subway for whatever reason. And I've never been to a deli. I've never been to Azip. I've never been to any of those places where you go down the line and you order the sandwich as you, as you go. And so I just go up to the lady and I say, I'd like a sandwich and a Coke and some chips. And then my friend, embarrassed for me, sidles up and says, actually, you have to like build the sandwich and then you order your drink and your chips at the end of the line. And I hated that friend and I hated Subway, and I, that ruined my day. And, and I was so embarrassed because I had lacked the worldly wisdom to understand how a Subway sandwich place worked. You'd think that that memory wouldn't still be with me, but it's still with me. I still remember it. How many of the things that you, you remember, the big embarrassments, the shame of your life, is stuff like that, where well, there's no, I hadn't been to Subway. There's, I couldn't have known better. It didn't matter. God didn't care. Nobody cared. The Subway lady probably gets five of those a day. It did not matter, but I still remember it with shame because it hurt my pride because I wanted my cool high school friends to think that I was the kind of person who was at ease in a social situation like Subway, and I was exposed as a fraud. (laughs) I was exposed as a fraud who didn't know how Subway worked, right? And so, no, I don't want to be told that I need to work on my marriage or that, I, that if I give myself to this thing over here, it'll lead to greater, you know, if I watch a bad movie over here, it'll lead to greater lusts over here. Or if I eat that fourth slice of pizza, I'm giving myself to gluttony. Whatever, I don't want people's correction because I'm proud. I'm proud. I don't want to know when I've done something wrong. I'd rather just go along. And again, Lady Wisdom's like, okay, but you're going to be destroyed and I'm going to laugh at you. You know, like, why not have the humility? Jake had a Chinese proverb, I think, last week. So here's a Chinese proverb for you, if I can remember it. The, the man who does not know and asks is ashamed for a minute. The man who does not know and does not ask is ashamed for his entire life. I mean, have you ever been part of a conversation where you just don't know what they're talking about and you just pretend because you'd rather not have the shame of learning, of, of being exposed as the person who doesn't know about, you know, political uh, strife in Asia or something like that. You know, it's like, who cares? Who cares? But that's how proud we are. Now, and, and this one's for you, Peter, and for, for all of uh, the sort of teenaged people in this room, your, uh, your Mariellas, your, all you people, you goobers. Uh, <laughs> We hate wisdom because we're scoffers. Because we're scoffers. So again, I'm just going to read this opening salvo. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So there's this biblical category called a scoffer. He appears in Psalm 1, you know, do not 
go sit down in the seat of scoffers. He appears all over the place. The Bible's like, don't be a scoffer. That's a bad thing. That's a really unwise thing. That's setting yourself up for disaster. But do we know what a scoffer is? A scoffer is somebody who laughs at everything, right? And how do you become a scoffer? How do you know if you're a scoffer? I'll tell you the story of how I became a scoffer. So let's go back to, oh, I don't know. Let's go back to eighth grade again, my favorite age. And I'm at a, let's say, an ice cream shop after a field trip, and all the kids are buying ice cream. Only my parents forgot to send money for ice cream, or they didn't care to send money for ice cream, or we were too poor to, I don't know, I don't have money for ice cream. Now, I could admit how vulnerable it makes me feel to be the one person who doesn't have ice cream, the pain that that causes, or I could say, ha, 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 ice cream's for sissies, ice cream's for losers. Like, why would I even want ice cream? Ice cream's dumb, you know? A scoffer is someone who starts by laughing at what he doesn't have and ends by laughing at absolutely everything. That's my definition of a scoffer. A scoffer starts by laughing at what he doesn't have and ends by laughing at everything. So now let's imagine I'm 13 years old. Are you 13 now? What are you? Yeah. Uh, now let's imagine I'm 13 years old and... There's a lot of things that I don't have in my life, right? Like, I don't have Disney movies anymore. And I kind of liked Disney movies. I kind of liked being a kid. But I can't have that because I have to be an adult. And so that, that feels kind of painful. And so what do I do? Ha ha. Disney movies are for babies. <laughs> They're for little kids. Which, yes, they are. But what's funny about that? Little kids need movies too, you know? It's fine, they're for little kids. Okay, great. Also though, I'm 13, so I, I haven't yet learned how to be an adult. So I don't have that either. So it's pretty tempting to be like, ha ha, <laughs> adults go to bed on time. Lame. Ha <laughs> 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 ha, adults. What, what do adults do? They go to work, they, they have jobs, they talk about politics, they're boring. They're boring, they're stupid, ha ha. It's easy to scoff at adults. And, and by the way, I have some sympathy for people who have pain about things that they don't have. If you didn't have ice cream, there's a manly way to just laugh at the fact that you couldn't afford the ice cream. And if you're a teenager, there's a manly way to kind of laugh at yourself and maybe laugh at your siblings for still liking. There, there's a, maybe a way to do that, right? I like jokes. But a lot of people will build up walls with scoffing, with laughing, right? Okay, so let's take it a step further. Now let's imagine a 15-year-old boy who doesn't have a dad. He has the pain of his dad left the family, went out for the pack of cigarettes, and never came back, that kind of thing. Ha-ha, uh, dads are stupid. Ha-ha, God is a father, and he's stupid. Ha-ha, everything I never had is stupid, because I don't want to feel the pain of not having. In fact, I'm not going to try to be virtuous. I'm not going to be, try to be wise. I'm not going to believe God when he says he has good things for me. Because maybe once or twice, I got something bad. Maybe somebody died. Maybe I was abused. Maybe whatever. Maybe things just didn't go the way I wanted them to. Maybe my parents got a nasty divorce. Whatever. I can feel the pain of that. I can give the pain to God. Or I can insulate myself against the pain by saying, ha ha, 
God is for sissies. Virtue is for losers. You can end your life. You know, you can start out laughing to shield yourself. You can very quickly become the kind of person who just shields him or herself from everything, from virtue, from hope, with laughter. And so I, I like jokes. I like laughter. But it's very easy to be the, that kind of person. I've been that kind of person. And you don't want to be that kind of person. If you're going to laugh, you want to start by laughing at yourself. Ha-ha, I forgot my ice cream money. Ha-ha, I don't know how to shuffle a deck of cards because my dad didn't teach me because he left up. You know, whatever, it's funny. I can learn. <sighs> there are so many ways to love being foolish and to hate wisdom. And so what does Lady Wisdom say? What does King Solomon say? For the simple are killed by their turning away. This is later down the passage. And the complacency of fools destroys them. And what does that mean? What does it mean that the simple are killed? This is, this is the second to last verse. The simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. What does it mean? Well, here's my deep insight into that. It means that the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. When you get to be a little bit older in life, you look back on your high school friends and you think which ones died because they were fools and you can name them. People do die because they give themselves to foolishness. It happens all the time, every day. This is not a metaphor. This is a warning. You love foolishness, you die. You be complacent, you die. Now there's the spiritual death. There's hell. There's also, I think, if we all took a second and we all thought, and I'm sorry to be a bummer, but this is what this passage has for us today. If you think about it, you could, I'm sure most of us could name at least one or two people we know who died because they were foolish with their cars, with drugs, with alcohol. Off the top of my head, I can think of a high school friend who died of heroin. I can think of a boy that was younger than me in high school who was just angry and rebellious, and he got mad one day and drove his four-wheeler really fast, flipped it, broke his neck. You don't want to become a sermon illustration, right? But that's exactly what wisdom is saying to us. Like, you will die. And of course, not everybody die dies. Some of us just wreck relationships, drive people off, blow up our finances, have bad things happen to us lose that romantic partner that we really liked, lose that job opportunity that we would have really liked. There are a lot of ways to die, right? The other thing that Lady Wisdom says that's even more intense than that is they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Now, maybe I should have said earlier, a lot of people have a lot of interesting things to say about how much Lady Wisdom is just a direct metaphor for God. And some people will be really weird about it. Like they'll say, it's the Virgin Mary or it's the feminine essence of God. You know, there's like, there's a bunch of wonky ways that you can go with it. People will also point out that Jesus Christ is called wisdom, that in Colossians 2, it says in him are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. There's a lot of verses like that. So 
people will often interpret this quite literally as Jesus speaking to us. And I think that that's helpful. But I didn't want to get too lost in that because if you start to like think about the make the metaphor stretch too far, it's like, why is he a lady? And, you know, is it saying this? Is it saying that? I didn't want us to get stuck on that. But understand, Lady Wisdom is encapsulating. She is showing us the character of God, right? And so it's pretty scary when she says, they will call upon me, you know, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a, st- a storm, your calamity comes like a whirlwind. Da, 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 da. They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Now, whether you think that's talking about they seek God and will not find them, or they, you just stick with the metaphor a little bit more generally. They seek wisdom. and It's tragic either way. And who hasn't experienced in a small way or in a big way, I really want some wisdom now. And Lady Wisdom's not, not talking to me. She's making fun of me, actually. Oh, shoot, I ruined that relationship. Oh, shoot, I neglected my kids and now they don't like me. Oh, shoot, I'm sick. I made myself sick. I made myself unattractive. Oh, shoot. I'm in pain. I'm in a mess of things. My life is not good. People have died. People have been hurt. We've all experienced that one way or another. I could really use some wisdom now. I'm on my deathbed. What do I do? I could use some wisdom. Lady Wisdom, where are you? She won't listen. I mean, that's what it says. I didn't say that. That's what she said. That's what the scriptures say, right? There's a time, now God is kind, and we're going to talk about that, but there is a time where it's too late. And that's hell, of course. But there's also just a time in life where there are, these are the consequences now. You've wasted your life. You've given yourself to sin. You've given yourself to temptation. You've let them entice you to take innocent blood, like we were talking about last week. And now it's too late. Now you're going to jail. Now you've committed a sin that you cannot take back. You can never rewrite your history such that you didn't do that. It's really scary. So I'll tell you the scariest story that I know, personally connected to me. Scariest story I know. My grandma on my dad's side was a very hard woman. And she she was like the daughter of a Methodist preacher. She left home really early. I don't know what the the thing was. I don't think anybody ever knew. Maybe, maybe my parents know, but I don't know. Like, she did not get along with her family, and she chose to reject religion. And all through her life, she would say, I don't want anything to do with that. If anybody talked to her about God or about Jesus, I remember her walking out of the room. Like, my dad or somebody started to talk to her about Jesus. She simply stood up. She walked out of the room. She had her kids. She made her money. She went to Florida. She had her fun. And then there was just nothing left for her to do but watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. She was very much the classic Florida old lady, husband dead, never knew my grandpa. She kept rejecting the things of God, very explicitly, like not unkind about it exactly, but just, I don't want anything to do with that. No, thank you, not for me. Well, eventually she got dementia, 
And her mind went, and the fog rolled in, and nobody could talk to her. She didn't know anybody. She was on her way out. She was 86 or something like that. And my mom was sitting up with her one night. This is the last lucid thing that Farmore, that's Swedish for grandma, ever said. So she'd been gone for months at that point. Like she was still alive, but she just wasn't there. If anybody's dealt with someone with dementia or Alzheimer's or something, you know what I'm talking about, right? She was not there. And my mom tells a story about sitting up with her one night. I don't know if she was actively dying at that point, but she was on her way out. And suddenly she wakes up, her eyes flutter, they come into focus. She's there. You can just tell. You look in her eyes, she's there. And she says, I don't have any peace because I won't listen. And then the fog rolls back in. And she's gone. And my mom said the hairs on the back of her neck stood up. It was the scariest thing. You know, it's, 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 I gave myself chills just talking about it. She was old and she wanted peace and she did not have it. She had spent her life rejecting Lady Wisdom. People had come to her, I know they did. Maybe not well, maybe not the people she would have wanted. The people had come to her and said, be wise, accept Christ. And I don't know the state of her soul, you know? I mean, we talked to her as she was in her fog and God can do whatever he wants. But I have no evidence that it wasn't too late for her. I know she had that horrible moment. <laughs> God is kind. There's not a person in this room who can't call on him, turn to Christ, repent, and have his mercy. There's not any one of us who can't say, I am done with this sin, but I still love it, but I'm done with it. There's not any one of us who can't throw ourselves on God and find his mercy. That's not what I'm saying. But understand also that what this scripture is talking about is real. There are people who have destroyed their lives and it's been too late for them. And you do not want to be that person. I mean, duh. One of the things that I think is fascinating about Proverbs is how often it says stuff like that. Like, hey, Peter, I've got to, we, I guess we have to ask the kids questions every summer. I got a question for you, okay? Would you rather make a horrible, destructive mess of your life and be really sad, or would you rather be happy? Which one? Happy. happy. <laughs> right. You'd think, like, why does Solomon spend so much time making such a big deal of this? Like, we all want to be happy, right? But it's precisely because we are that in love with foolishness. We are that capable of giving ourselves to what's expedient, to what's easy, to what feels wise in the moment. And some of us will die. So one final point that I want to make, very simple one. There's so many applications that we could make about this, right? I mean, listen to Lady Wisdom. Don't die. That's a good application. But I am thankful for the ways in which my parents made reproof a normal part of my diet. And I wish they would have done it a lot more. I think my mom wouldn't mind me saying this. And my dad's out of the picture. They made it more difficult for me to accept reproof in a lot of ways because they didn't reprove me that much. And so I just wasn't ready for it. And so I hope that all the parents, myself included, will make reproof normal 
for their kids. Create a culture of, you know, put your coat on, take your feet off the couch, go back upstairs and change into something decent, young lady. Whatever it is, I hope we'll have the faith to do it. And I'm sure we'll have seminars and breakouts and Sunday school lessons and things like that at Church of the King where we'll talk about how. That's not the point of today. But I just hope we have the faith to do it. Because Lady Wisdom is going to come to your children and she's going to wear a lot of different masks, right? She might wear the mask of a teacher or a police officer or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a boss or any number of things. And in that guise, she is going to reprove them. And they are going to be softened up and ready to accept that reproof. Or they're going to be like, what? Someone's telling me I'm doing something wrong. I've never experienced that before. And those are the kinds of people that Lady Wisdom mocks, right? There's a number of places in this passage where she just says, you didn't accept my reproof. And we're all, you know, like me in the subway line, we're all tempted not to accept reproof. We all are proud and hard and have sin. You know, God has to make us humble. But man, you can make it easier or harder. You can normalize it or make it weird. And I think as a church community, let's not be afraid to, you know, not in a mean way, not in a stupid way, but let's not be, be afraid to talk to each other about what's, what matters, about the things that we see. It's like Ben said many, many sub-sermons ago about the... Um, throwing your pearls before swine. Your pearls are your judgments. Give them to people. Don't throw them before swine, but do, the, do give them to your friends and your church family, right? Let's have the faith to have fights with our spouses and to say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And let's have the faith to have a culture of reproof because those are the kinds of people that Lady Wisdom loves and that she has no reason to mock people who have been set not to spurn her. Uh, James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. I know we've been a little hardcore today, but God is a kind father and he does want all of us to go to him with repentance, with humility, ask for wisdom and he will give it. Precisely because he is, it says later in the passage, precisely because he is a generous father. He will give without reproach. You know, ah, here's some wisdom. No. I am so thankful that you asked me for wisdom. Here's some. We don't have to be broken without remedy. We don't have to be the person that Lady Wisdom mocks. So let's ask God to give us wisdom. Let's pray.